When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Scott Bass. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. After uh, Good morning. after watching Kelly take the uh, the Maldives event, aren't <laughs> you inspired to go surf perfect waves with family? Family trip with perfect waves. Yeah, I I, I watched a little bit. I, but yeah. Um, <laughs> they should I, have a tour event there. I, I mean, seriously, it's such a cool event that they do uh, single fin, twin fin and tri fin category for each surfer. But the reason I bring it up is just because obviously waterways. it's such a destination. Yeah. Waterways travel.com will take you there. If you do want to go, I just went to their website as we were logging on. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually have three accommodations in the Maldives. So Waterwaystravel.com, click on destinations, and you can obviously choose from a huge range of countries. Um, Bali, Caroline Islands, Ecuador, El Salvador, Fiji, Marshall Islands, Mexico, Nicaragua, all over. But within each region, there are a number of different accommodation levels. So kind of based on whatever level of luxury you want, uh, they've got something for you. So in the Maldives specifically, they have two different luxury yachts to choose from, or Cinnamon Don Valley, uh, which is a resort right in front of an epic left point break. They've got beach bungalows. They've got the over the water bungalows where you can kind of look down and see the fish swimming under your place. So looks pretty incredible. Yeah, those over the water bungalows always look sort of like idyllic, like the most ideal. Like, like this is what it would be like if you were, you know. In somebody's novel, would you ever would you ever (laughs) stay there with a male friend? (laughs) Hell to the no! (laughs) That is strictly a couples only accommodation, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) That's funny. Well, anyways, score perfect surf, um, waterwaystravel.com, and then of course, real water sports has been with us for over a year now. They're doing that surfboard giveaway. It ends actually on the 13th. So you have about two weeks to get in on that if you haven't already. But I was just thinking, I was looking at the list of shapers of boards that they um, supply at Real Water Sports and thinking they're all going to be at the boardroom show. Not all of them, but the vast majority of those shapers are going to be at the boardroom show, even running the shaping booth from what I hear. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, We've got a great show. Is this my, is this where I talk about the boardroom show? Well, we <laughs> will. Talk let's, real water <laughs> let's talk about real water sports. We'll go to intro song and then we'll come back with boardroom show. But um, Roger Hines surfboards is going to be running the booths. I think the yeah. shaping booth at the, um, yes. at the boardroom show. And I mean, that guy, he is a uh, icon of foam. So who better to run the booth than an icon himself. But I know trip told me that he just shipped over some Roger just shipped over a new batch of boards to real water sports um some classic longboards he calls the renaissance 
So they're kind of, they're sixties designed boards. So they have a 60 uh, outline and aesthetic, but updated rocker and rails to modernize them slightly. But when I say aesthetic, they're like full polish resin panels, um, fancy glue or fancy uh, wood T-band glued in. So um, go check those out on realwatersports.com. And if they're not sold, by the 13th, you can pick those as one of your boards if you win the giveaway. Yeah, well, that I, would be cool if um, if you and I won the giveaway. Like, that would be cool, you know? Like, I, you and I deserve new boards. What are I the agree. chances? Are we allowed to enter? Sure. I have not been told <laughs> no. <laughs> if they picked our name, would they put our name away and then pick another one? That would be so um, unprofessional. So, but <laughs> here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up a separate email account with a fake name and that guy might win. There you go. <laughs> I want to win, man. I want that Roger Hines longboard. Exactly. Um, I hope trip and um, I forget his buddy's name, but I hope those guys come over for the show again this year. Yeah. That'd be incredible. That, that yeah. Was fun. They, were, they added a lot of uh, good mojo to the whole deal. And a great um, video piece. I know, right? Thank you, Trip. What yeah. was his friend's well, name? Do I'm, I'm, I, I do totally. It, well, he does. He does all the Christian. Or? Anyway, geez, sorry, I we, feel terrible for not knowing. But he does the video work for. He does the video work for Brett Barley, so we should oh. totally know. Oh yeah, we definitely need to know. It's anyway. Me. Anyways, let's go oh, to uh, let's open the show and then uh, we'll talk about the boardroom show. As we see. Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah. Guy, guy, yes. Welcome, everybody. It's the boardroom. I mean, whoops, it's spit. We're talking all things spit, spit serving. There's a couple of big things to talk about here this week, David. And uh, before we get to it, let me tell you that it's Thursday. It's the first day of September in the year 2022. And David, good morning. Good morning. A few big things, but none bigger than the boardroom show coming live to Del Mar next month. That's right. We're five weeks away from the Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks. And you can get tickets right now. Go to boardroomshow.com if you want to purchase tickets. They're cheaper if you buy them online. But of course, you can just walk up to the box office and buy them there as well. And um, David, we are again offering the exclusive VIP dinner with the icon of foam, Mr. Timmy Patterson. And you get a three course meal. You get um, beer and wine included paired with the dinner. Can you pair beer with dinner? I know you can pair wine with dinner. Absolutely. And of course, then you get um, a surfboard, one of the finished shape blanks from round one of the icons of foam shape off. Um, and uh, all of that with a, a little swag bag. Um, there are, I think, five of those tickets left. There's only eight people sitting at this dinner, this very exclusive and intimate dinner with Timmy Patterson. Um, it's a lot of fun. So we got that going on. 
Um, how much does it cost to enter the boardroom? You said you could buy tickets online and they're cheaper. Yeah. How, how expensive is it for me to get into this event? It's $15 for a ticket. Smoking deal. Yeah. I mean, for all day, day of surfboard extravaganza, extravaganza and smorgasbord, and uh, it's cheaper than a movie ticket, which only lasts two hours. Way cheaper than a movie ticket. And I would say about $185 cheaper than a Disneyland ticket. Holy mackerel. You know what? <laughs> Let's do I a thought... list of things it's cheaper than. I bought a cup of coffee for my wife that was about $11 the other day. <laughs> what does she drink? Some sort of spicy Mayan mocha friggin' brevia oat milk combo swirly butter. I don't know. It was crazy. It is crazy. Coffee. It's funny that you're saying this. This is our proof that we are becoming old. Um, <laughs> as if listeners needed more proof. The fact that we couldn't remember Trip's friend's name, I think, is all the proof they need. Jake? Is it Jake? Oh. <laughs> it might be Jake. Um, so coffee it dawned on me literally this week so it's funny that you're bringing this up but this week normally i just buy myself coffee and i drink it black even then it's 350 which is way too expensive for a cup of black coffee but lauren wanted an iced latte this week and my bill was over 10 bucks so her coffee must have been six and change and it was like it i didn't like commit it to like it didn't stay with me but now that you're saying it it dredged up the feelings that i had in the moment and I thought to myself, it cannot cost them more than 50 cents to make that cup of coffee. Like, I understand maybe the machinery is expensive. And of course, you got a staff here. Maybe they're paying a little bit of rent. But the raw materials to make that coffee are well under 50 cents. And they're charging yeah. me $6.50 for it. And there's a line out the door. It's like, they're yeah. probably making 500 bucks an hour here, I would say in revenue, at least, you know, and it's kind of super busy for four or five hours a day. So I think they're crushing. I would agree. There is a lot of, of overhead. We're not thinking about though, because real estate's expensive in Southern California and labor and all that. But yeah, the, the margin just on the pure cup of coffee is ridiculous. Totally. Yeah, totally. And we still do it literally every day. I kind of, I'm, I'm so against eating out. Like I'm, I'm of the opinion that eating out's the biggest scam going. Like the only reason we do it is because I'm slothful, you know, like yeah. I don't really want to cook dinner that night. But when I go, every time I go out, I'm like, oh my God, I can do way better than this at home. Like there's yeah. only a few really good restaurants. There's a lot of really crappy restaurants that's, that you pay a lot of money for that you're just like, really? Right. This is 32 bucks for a piece of chicken? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how I, I feel we about are getting chain. Old. That's how I feel about chain restaurants. Um, there's nothing at the Olive Garden that I could not cook better than they can cook, or chilies, or apple, you know, or any of that stuff. So to wait me, minute, those are all... don't be messing with my chilies, bros. What do you? Chili's, what's your meal at Chili's? Chili's is, chili's is at the top. What's your better. meal? What isn't my meal? Okay. Starting, no, I mean, no, I, I used to eat at Chili's all the time and I'm disappointed that the Chili's in Encinitas is gone, but yeah, um, probably for good right. reason, right? 
baby back ribs. Come on. Yeah. See, I would never eat baby back ribs there because I mean, I don't have a smoker, but all my buddies do. And we cook ribs every summer. And it's like, I have a certain threshold of quality that I would expect. Yeah, that's true. So at any rate, what are we talking about? Uh, how surfers get paid. We've got lowers. Joel Tudor got spanked with a stand-up paddle. Um, what? I didn't know that. Did that thoughts? really happened. It literally happened. He posted a clip to Instagram <laughs> yesterday, oh yesterday morning. You're kidding. I got to go check this out. I had no idea about that. I think we need, I think the, the story that the big story in the room to me is, is the Vans Pipeline Masters. Oh, okay. Let's talk then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, pretty incredible. I will, let me say this, that I was excited about our show this morning because I had breaking news, David, that Vans was going to bring back the pipeline masters. I've been sitting on this for like a week and I go on to stab yesterday and lo and behold, they posted a story about it. And so they beat me to the punch, but I had heard about this and, um, my version of the story was that, whoa, Vans and WSL are, are kind of going at it. Like I had heard that, that there was some, that Vans was doing the pipe event, Pipeline Masters, and they wanted the top CT surfers in it. And the WSL was not going to allow that to happen. And then this breaks um, that Vans and I get, apparently Stab is involved with the distribution of the product. Um, but the Vans Pipeline Masters is happening in its traditional waiting period, December 8th to like the 21st or whatever it is. And, um, you know, they're bringing 60 of the world's best aerialists and tube surfers, 40 men and 20 women, handpicked by the most influential voices in surfing, according to the release. 50% of the field will consist of local and Hawaiian surfers. All the invitees must be over 16 and um, there will be world champions, CT surfers, previous pipe winners, free surfers, aerialists, and local heroes. The invitee list yet to be determined. Um, but the big, the biggest news about this, right, is that this is, this is kind of an, this is both a traditional pipeline tube riding event and this is an aerial event. And David, I'll turn it over to you for your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what you and I have been talking about will happen eventually, and we're starting to see it happen. We started seeing it happen um, with different... Actually, what I mean to say by that is if the WSL keeps running um, too many surfers in marginal surf, there leaves a big opportunity for people to run the best surfers in the world in the best waves. And it might take a while until we see some alternative tour because that's a huge investment but we're going to see little feeler events to test this out we've seen it in the past with red bull doing cape fear event or whatever and uh but the problem there was that yes the wct or the world surf league surfers are under contract and they're not allowed to surf in that event so you do have kind of these specialist surfers in those events and um and it's exciting blah 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 well, what we're going to see now is um, because Vans, I guess, owns the license to the name Pipe Masters, is this is a little bit more familiar. This is a wave that we all know. This is a wave that, I mean, arguably the best wave in the world. And 
we can see former CT surfers who have won this event in the past competing in this event. So it's less of a specialty event. It's much more kind of in line with what we're used to. And the other great thing about it is it's not beholden to all the bureaucratic red tape that the World Surf League has chosen to kind of bring in from the past. They don't really need a lot of the bureaucracy that was required in the past. Um, so they could kind of shed it if they wanted to, but this is an opportunity for vans to kind of undercut them in a lot of ways and, or usurp them. I'm not sure what the right word is, but to do what they're unable to do. And I think it's super exciting. It's exactly what we want to see. Well, let me um, tell the listeners a little bit about the format. There's going to be three preliminary rounds, three rounds and nobody gets eliminated in these rounds. They're four-person heats. They're 30 minutes apiece. Again, no losers. So each competitor is going to get 90 minutes to compete at Pipeline with three other surfers in the water. By the way, those four surfers that are in the first heat together will maintain that same heat throughout. So you'll be surfing against the same four people for those um, 90 minutes at pipeline. Each surfer will count their top three scores from the preliminary rounds, those heats that I mentioned, those three preliminary heats. Surfers' top three scores can come from any one of those rounds or a combination. So, you know, you could get all your top scores in the last heat or in all three heats, whatever. Scoring is done in a leaderboard format. So surfers are competing against everyone in the draw, not just the three per people in your heat. Um, each of the preliminary rounds will feature two surfers from Hawaii and then two surfers from somewhere else. So the Hawaiians will be spread out throughout the event. Um, heats will be seeded by a panel of pipeline experts who are not competing in the event. So. There's going to be experts that put the seeds together to determine who surfs against who. After all the competitors have surfed in the three preliminary round heats, there will be a top four men finalists and top four women finalists that will go on to the finals. So they will pull the, fi uh, the final four men and women from these three 30-minute heats. There is no priority, David. Should a surfer interfere with or drop in on another surfer, they will lose half of their top wave score. In other words, their top scoring ride at any point in the competition will be cut in half from the moment interference is applied. So that's the format. I hope I've, I've done a good yes. job of excavating it. You have, and it sounds, if you're just going to try to determine who is the best surfer, on a given swell at pipeline, this is a much more efficient and effective way to figure that out than the current contest format that the WSL is running. Um, maybe, let me, okay. So when I first saw this format, um, I wanna give you my gut reaction. My gut reaction, my first reaction was this is really interesting, but it, to me, it feels like a square peg in a round hole. How so? Well, it, pipeline's called pipeline for a reason. 
It's a massive gaping pit that roars and breathes and spits. And now after you come out of one of these gorgeous pipeline barrels that forever pipeline's been known as the place where you get barreled. But now if you get incredibly barreled and get perhaps what you consider to be a 10 or close to a 10, you've only gotten a five because they're scoring, according to the format, they're scoring equally the barrel and the aerial. So you've come out of this insane barrel, you've done what you're supposed to do at pipeline, which is get barreled. And um, now you've got a five and now you've got to look for the end section. And um, that's my gut reaction. And maybe it's not, maybe nothing is, is sort of highlighting my get off of my lawn, old man attitude. And I feel like this is a square peg in a round hole. Um, You're right. Uh, That's not an old man attitude. I think that's a timeless attitude about pipe. Um, So you're right. And when you read to me the format, that part fell on my deaf ears. And I was just thinking about the leaderboard format and everything else that they've kind of uh, changed. So I think all of those other things are a great way to determine who the best surfer is at pipe in this given swell. But I agree with you in that the air thing, I like that they are acknowledging that there's massive ramps at pipeline and they want to incorporate that into the score line, but there's no rationalization for making it equal to the barrel. That's insane. That That's the words from Stab's article. They will That's be insane. equally rewarded for eyeing pipes, inner ledge, and launching above the horizon. That's insane. So e- equal, and I'm hoping that the writer equal. actually uh, misused or incorrectly stated what the judging criteria would be, because it absolutely should not be equal. It's great that they acknowledge it and that they incorporate it into the scoring, but there's no way it should be equal. Well, this is straight from their website. This says, and I'll quote, this is not to say that folks will be shying away from Second Reef cathedrals. Rather, they will be equally rewarded for eyeing up pipes, inner ledge, and launching above the horizon. Equally rewarded. So that would would, uh, stand to reason that, um, let's say... Mason Ho on his giant board gets the second reefer and gets a 10 point ride. And then whoever, hell, I don't even want to think of an example, but somebody else takes off on a shouldery one, just aiming a ramp and they can get a 10 just by doing an air off the end section. So the judges have to compare Mason Ho's roll in to the double up versus somebody who's sitting over Felipe Toledo sitting over here and just aiming for the big ramp on the air section, they have to compare those and those can both get tens. I don't think those can both get tens. I think what a 10 is, is an insane barrel with an insane aerial at the end. I don't think if you just do an aerial, but my point is if you get an insane barrel, but don't get the air, I guess it's a seven or is it a five because they said they're equal. So is an insane barrel a five? And then if they just do the insane, if they 
finished within the insane air. Now we're in the excellent wave score I'm, area. I'm hoping that again, the writer did not fully convey the judge's uh, own personal metric because you got to be able to get a 10 on a barrel pipeline. I mean, it'd be insane if somebody got, I'm trying to think of what are among the best tens that we've ever seen at pipe. And if somebody well, the, got the one that comes to mind is Jericho 10 in okay. the early nineties, that was just mind blowingly deep. But I mean, that's the, that's the one okay. I always think. Or I'm thinking of Kelly Slater at back door in 2019 where he had like section after section after section yeah. and he dodges yeah, yeah. out dodges out of that last doggy door section yeah so he by does way, that he does that and they up. go he go, does that and they go oh that's only a nine because you didn't do an air off that doggy door section that's insane well, there, there's not gonna that's why i was interrupting you i apologize because it just came to me that it's going to be all laughs nobody's going to be doing an air at back door pipe no so that'd be insane okay that's also a failure of the judging criteria then if they're creating a criteria that makes everybody ignore the waves at back door and you have a perfect right coming in and they're like no i can't go because i can only get a score going left that's insane well i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe guys will be i mean i guess mason i guess guys will be launching but the, i mean somebody that's the other thing that i wanted to mention is somebody's going to get injured and it could be a ct guy and it's whole season in 2023 could be gone because of it so like, do you know somebody gets injured and then they're like oh i need an injury wild card because i got hurt surfing in this specialty sanctioned event no i would never say specialty sanctioned event i would say because i got injured surfing in the pipe masters <laughs> it is the pipe well, masters here, here's another thing that because of what i was told last week that that vans and the wsl were were like at loggerheads like there was con major conflict about this um, I'm wondering if in an effort to get the WSL to sanction this event and let their surfers be a part of this Vans Pipeline Masters, WSL demanded that the format be something different, something that wasn't like their Billabong Pipeline Pro in January. You know, like they basically said, look, okay, here's the deal. I'll tell you what, let's, let's try to find some common ground. We will allow you to have our surfers in your event, John, John, Florence, and Kelly specifically, if you change it somehow, so it's not like our event, can you help us out, like play with us, we go with us here. And Vance came back and said, okay, well, how about we make it like part aerial, you know? And then they went, okay, it's different. We will allow this to occur. We will allow you to have our surfers in your event. I think, I think we're focusing too much on the I can't imagine that they're actually going to follow through and score airs equally. I think it's much more, the bigger changes here are the format, the leaderhead or the leaderboard format and all that sort of stuff that creates enough distinction from the WSL event to warrant that they're different. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I think the air thing, we'll see how it all plays out in the judging criteria. I don't see them um, not acknowledging what we know to be a 10 point ride at pipeline. So if they did well, not give a wave of 10 where somebody gets that Derek Ho wave, everybody will be up in arms and shaming the event. And so. What if, okay. But think it through. What if David, you and I watch um, Jamie O'Brien or Kelly or whoever, any of these guys can do it. And they get what we would deem to be a 10 point ride normally at a normal 
for that we've seen for the past 45, 50 years since 1971 at Pipeline. And we're like, okay, that's a 10. Normally that's a 10, but we have to, do, we have to give some room here, right? So what is what we would consider a 10? What is now, what score do we now give a 10? If it's not equal, if it's not a five, is it a seven? So that there's three points for the aerial? No, <laughs> that's still a 10. I mean, getting really, the, you can get a 10 without doing anything on the end section. Yeah, absolutely. Because some of those waves don't have an end section, but they still had, they still did what pipeline does, you know, like the air section is not, uh, I mean, it, I'm not going to say it's not common, but it's not like, it's not a known feature of the wave. And we have seen waves John, I'm thinking of Mason, I'm thinking of John, John, I'm thinking of Baron, I'm thinking of Eli Hanneman, where they do have like a ramp at the end of it down by Aukai, and they do a full rotation backside air off of it. And that's incredible, but it's not nearly as crazy as somebody getting a crazy barrel. Like, I guess if they got an eight barrel and then did a huge full rot air, they can get a 10 on that wave. But if they lock up the 10 on the barrel, it doesn't matter what happens on the end section, you know? Well, I'm just telling you what I'm, what I'm reading. I know. Stab, I know. You know, like stab is playing this up as, let me see if I can find it. I, again, I'm glad that they are. And I think it creates a lot of talking. It creates a lot of uh, hype and excitement and anticipation of the event because you see the big Nathan Fletcher air that they're using to advertise the event and all that. I just think once it's actually in the water, heats are in the water, judges are trying to assign a score to somebody who got the Derrick wave. I think they're going to apply uh, a 10 to that wave, but they'll also, you know, I think the other thing here is we've seen guys do crazy airs in CT events at pipe without getting barreled. And then they get a three point, they get a, a three for doing the air. I think what Stab may be saying is, well, now that's a seven point ride. That air that Idolo can do out there without getting barreled is a seven. And they'll be judging that against, let's say, a less than incredible barrel that could also be a seven. So you're saying like if the conditions break down to where it's just turns, maybe, then we still need to be giving which is kind of weird because again, like that's the square peg round hole thing. Like really like is, I mean, if we're just going to do an, a turns aerial thing, there might even be better places to do it. Like just down the beach. Yeah. Yeah. True. Well, does it say how many days it's going to take to run the event? Um, well, they have, no, it doesn't, but, but they have 50 surfers, right? They have 60 surfers and it's going so, to be overlapping heats, four person heats, 30 minutes a piece. So it could take two days. Um, I, the yeah, go ahead. prize money, hundred K for first place, 60 K for second, 35 for third and 15 for fourth. And they do have a women's division as well. Well, this, this lit up the, um, the stab readers, um, comment section and one that i think is pretty uh, brings up some good points is by a, a guy who labels himself or a girl undergunned and this person says first of all you can't compare heats against other heats 
because conditions change and comparing heats as the swell change changes isn't fair. But I guess you could say, well, we change the judging based on each and every heat. So, so that, you know, and then he goes on to say that some of the best moments in competitive surfing have come, have come from dealing with priority. And he's speaking about there's no priority in this event, none. So you've got to heat with two Hawaiian locals and then two whoever's uh, from not from Hawaii. And there's no priority. And it's overlapping heats, by the way, I believe. But this guy's saying, look, some of the best moments ever are like when when John John got a wave underneath J-O-B with, with like 30 seconds left. Or he mentions he, Kelly's never ending backdoor drainer that you brought up. Um, these all occurred like grasping victory at the very end. They're like, we're going to lose that. that no, those moments of. I disagree. Like it, those things weren't dramatic because of priority. Those things were dramatic because they came down to the final minute of the heat. The J, the John, John John versus Job one. Job was winning. He was going to win the event. John shook his hand, which made almost Job put his guard down, and then John bolted over and grabbed a back door. But I mean, that wasn't to do with priority. It wasn't Job battling next to him, trying to keep him off the wave or anything like that. So I don't think that priority is what makes this dramatic. I think when the waves are good, it almost nullifies the priority drama that he's talking about. The priority drama is much more interesting when they're surfing marginal waves and heat strategy becomes like an actual determining factor. Um, but I also disagree with his point of you can't compare let me just read it exactly. You can't compare heats against other heats. Conditions change and comparing heats as a swell changes isn't fair. Well, yes, but it's not fair currently. You know, when somebody has to surf, when somebody gets to surf good waves and somebody else has to surf bad waves in a separate heat, that's not fair. But taking this makes it a lot more, this takes kind of an average. You said they get to surf three heats not one back to back, not three back to back, but three over the course of a period of time yeah. before there's any elimination. So that gives the people a chance that maybe they run in one crappy heat and one good heat, you know, or whatever. So that it's kind of creating a mean or an average for each of the surfers and their scoring is the leaderboard format. So throughout the entire event, their best scores will be applied to their final scores. So even if they get to surf, or even if they have to surf a crappy heat at some point, they don't necessarily have to utilize those scores, not in that heat or not later in the future. They'll be able to apply their better scores later in the future. So it solves what he's talking about. Yeah, I guess the feeling is, look, after three heats, do your chances of getting one of those heats in really good surf relative to your other competitors is pretty good. Like you say, it's yeah. going to average out. You, your chance of getting two good waves in 90 minutes is way better than kind of what he's arguing for, you know? Yeah. Well, so I'm excited. I think this. I'm really curious to hear who the surfers are. Well, that's my next thing. Who would you like to see, right? We've got invitees, right? And this is, by the way, you, you've got the page up on, on your computer screen, the stab story. It's very much the tone of it is that this is going to be an aerial event. That's the vibe I got, that it's pipeline, but it's aerials are going to be a big, big part of this. Don't you yeah. get that sense? 
Well, but it's going to yeah, be equally they're, they're judged showing... by the tube and by the air. Equally I mean, yes, judged. they're using aerial imagery to advertise this yeah. entire story. Okay. So that being said, who would you like to see? Let me ask you this. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a name at you that might blow your mind, but it makes the most sense from a marketing, not from Vans's point of view, it makes the most sense. Tosh Tudor. Will Tosh Tudor be invited because he's a Vans kid? I mean, there's, I think we could fill out the roster with more qualified surfers. I didn't say that, but do you think Tosh Tudor will be invited? Um, I have no idea. No. I don't what know. About- I, I think um, who should be invited? Jamie O'Brien, Mason Ho, yeah. Baron Mamiya, Eli Hanneman, uh, Nathan Fletcher, I'm fine with. He's a, the Vans guy. That'd be, that'd be fine. Noah Dean. Uh, Dane Reynolds, I think, should be invited. He's a Vans guy. John John Florence should be invited. Um, uh, oh, Clay, Clay Marzo. Clay Marzo, Matt Miola, Albie Layer. Albie Layer's uh, ben- got to be a, a favorite. Benji Brand. <laughs> okay, I'm writing all these down. These are all names. What about Chippewa Wilson? No. Why not? I don't ever remember him surfing pipe ever <laughs> i'm just thinking about like goofy foot aerialists yeah yeah but yeah i don't see but you gotta i mean they have to be a pipe specialist it's first, not like clay know. clay marzo doesn't surf pipe yeah but he surfs big barreling laughs all the time and better oh, right. than anybody else on the planet no i agree i think clay needs to be in there i'm i would be disappointed if it wasn't i'm just trying to play devil's advocate here yeah kelly um, slater Kelly, Nathan Florence, Ivan Florence. Who's one that you mentioned a couple of names? How old is Eli Hanneman? Is he over 16? You got to be over 16. Oh, yeah, he's over 16. I think he's 18. Um, one of the things they mentioned is past pipeline winners. And I can only think of one guy who you've mentioned that fits the bill for this event Jamie O'Brien. Like, yeah. does, does Jeremy Flores, are you like, oh, yeah, he's got to be in it? No, no, and Gabe Medina has he ever won Gabe, pipe? Yeah, uh, yeah, Gabe should absolutely be invited. Oh, yeah, Idolo needs sure. to be Gabe invited. will win it. Yeah, Idolo. Um, um, uh, so what's Eli, really kind of Eli you know, Olson? Eli Olson, wow, there's that's an interesting one. And you brought up the Monizes, right? I did not, but absolutely, they should be invited, all of them. Even Tony. <laughs> Even Tony. Uh, who will be the oldest guy in this event? Michael. Michael. <laughs> that would be insane. But you mentioned Nathan Florence. He'll be the oldest guy, right? But Fletcher. I don't think Nathan will be in it. Fletcher? I, I mean, Nathan, uh, Nathan Fletcher. Yeah, he won't be. I, he'll, he'll be like he, one of the pipe specialists. That's He's going to be the overlord. He's going to be the George Downing. He's going to be the guy that judges and selects and makes judging like he's the guy they're looking to to help guide this thing through so Maybe i don't so. think he'll be in it i mean they're using his imagery to advertise the event yeah because it's a vans thing but yeah. so but but other what other pipe winner do you think makes sense for this event like because i because i go okay rob could still surf pipeline really good but he's not really like the guy you'd see in the air so to speak yeah, I don't think they would invite Rob. Um, no, they wouldn't. 
uh has bruce bruce hasn't won it but bruce could be invited i think bruce did win it no, andy won it i think andy, won andy. It when he was like 17 or something yeah andy but bruce bruce might have won other events out there but not the pipe masters yeah he um, might have won yeah he might have won yeah. the, the Vulcan pipe pro or something what about kyle Lenny? wow that's a very interesting one um I think he should be invited. First of all, from a marketing standpoint, he's a no-brainer. Like if you're Vans, you're like, hell's held to the yes. I want Kai Lenny and all the good mojo that he brings to the event. You know, you know what's here's funny? The, here's the subtext though. Yeah. Will a CT guy win this or will a non-CT guy? Like to me, this is kind of where that's fascinating, right? Like if a Kai Lenny wins it. So it depends if Gabriel Medina is in the event or not, I suppose. And John, and John, John Florence. Um, the thing is do what you want with the contest format, competing, putting on a Jersey still creates just, um, a different dynamic within a tension and a different dynamic within an individual surfer's mind. Again, it doesn't matter what the format is putting the Jersey on knowing the judges are watching creates a different dynamic in surfer's mind and nobody is more adept at surfing with that mindset than Gabriel Medina and Kelly Slater and John, John Florence. Um, and so Mason and J-O-B are equally as well qualified on that wave, but that slight shift in dynamic can be the Achilles heel for those guys. Yeah. And has proven and has proven to be, by the way, in the past. I don't think Dane Reynolds, I would think that Dane would even tell you, no, nah, I'm not the guy. Like I bet Dane would go, no, nah, not for me. You're right. You're right. Um, well, Jack look. Robinson. Oh yeah, Jack. That'll be sick. Who else of the C-tiers are you like, you know, that guy should be on it. Felipe Toledo. <laughs> I was thinking about Kayo. Like where does Kayo fit in here? You know, like, does, um, he, oh, here's a better one. Kanoa. Does Kanoa Igarashi deserve to be in this? I mean, Kanoa, I think Kanoa's made two finals at the Pipe Masters before. Um, yeah. So you can make an argument for him. You can make an argument for Kayo. I wouldn't be mad at either pick. I just think that there's a lot more interesting opportunities to add to this. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited. This is great news. I know it's very exciting. It is. And and more will be revealed. Like we'll know more about how this all plays out. And at the end of the day, if you're Vans, you're just, you've, this is a home run for Vans right now because it's everyone's going, Oh my God, this, this is different. You know, just the fact that it's different, um, that it's a fresh a breath of fresh air, I guess. It's kind of cool. I think, I think they're seizing the day. I'm wondering if there's also a little bit of retribution for the way that Joel has been handled by the WSL vans going, Hey, Joel is our guy. We've got his back. And now we're going to come, we're going to come in. We're going to come hard against you. I don't know. But like I said, I heard that there was some real animosity building up to this thing. Um, and then I guess cooler heads prevailed. And like I said, my gut feeling here is that the WSL said, okay, fine. You know, you can have John, John and Kelly, but you have to make the format different than what we 
offering the, the viewing public in January. But again, um, this is just me. This is just me. Uh, I have no proof of this. This is just me kind of, because I can't, I can't see the WSL going, yeah, just run a normal pipeline event and take our guys. Like right. there's no way they're going to allow that. That just simply is not going to happen. Well, the great thing is they don't even want your guys WSL. <laughs> like there's three of them. Oh, they do. Who? They do want no, two of them. There's they, yeah, there's they two. Want there's Kelly three. and they want John John. Great. Yeah. And and if you say no, guess what? There's a long list of people that we can put in this event that will make it still an incredibly compelling event. It'll be slightly more compelling to have John, John, and Kelly and Gabriel there, but we got Kyle Lenny. We got all these other people that Jay. Well, let me Jamie ask you this. If you determine a pipeline master without Gabe, Kelly, and John, John Florence, and frankly, Jack Robinson, um, and, you, and you get a winner, does it feel like that person's the best at pipeline that year? Yes, it still does in this given scenario. Um, but I also think that the WSL's back is against the wall here. Like if they don't allow their surfer to compete in this event, it makes them look incredibly petty. And because they haven't actually, I mean, it for obvious reasons, but also because if they just gave us the best surfers in the best waves year in and year out, we wouldn't even have a need for this event. They've kind of created a scenario where we have a need for these other types of events where we want to just see the best surfers competing in the best waves. And so now somebody else is doing it. And to be perfectly honest, John, John wants to compete in that event. Kelly wants to compete in that event, just like they do with the backdoor shootout and the Volcom event. And so if they're, employer is like no you're not allowed to go play with your friends it's it's a terrible look for them they would be further digging a hole for themselves how is the judging different than just the judging i i, I guess i would want you to look into the future a little bit and and say um christmas day are you going to be like wow that was a huge success or you know what the whole adding the inside section aerial thing equally um, just was actually a square peg in a round hole and, 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 and kudos for trying, but I don't think they should do that again. Or are you going to be on the other side of the equation? What do you, what is your gut feeling? Do you think you're going to be going hell to the yes or hell to the no? My gut feeling is the judges will get it right. They can say whatever they want in this press release, but once somebody gets blown out of a cavern at backdoor or pipe, they will award the score. And if somebody does an 10. air after that, yeah, they can, somebody will be able to get a 10 out there without doing an air is my point. The judges will not, uh, not acknowledge that. And so that's where I think that lands. I think it'll work out perfectly fine. Keeping us fueled through today's show, we've got athleticgreens.com slash surf, everything you need in one morning beverage. Yes, my my son was here recently visiting, and I got him on the AG1. He's a big fan, and he's he's not one to eat broccoli, you know. He's more of like yeah. sausage and meat, you know. <laughs> he's a meat and potatoes guy. Yeah, but um, he's psyched on the AG1. You know, he went right to it. He was worried. He's like, oh, "What does it taste like?" I'm like, "Dude, it tastes killer." And he was like, "Yeah," and he pounded it and loved it. And so he's on the program. AG1, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Everybody in our family is too. Lauren drank it all through her pregnancy 
Um, so, and Austin turned out perfect, a perfect little <laughs> angel of a human being. <laughs> so we could thank Athletic Greens for that. Anyways, our portal it, for you to receive optimal health uh, and to support our work is athleticgreens.com slash surf. Well, and let's be clear too. Um, the listeners don't know this, but you guys were going to name your son Athletic Greens, but didn't make sense. So you went with the A theme anyway and chose Austin. Correct. Yeah. His first name was going to be athletic middle name greens. Then they switched their kind of identity to AG one threw everything out the window. Became Austin. Exactly. Yeah. Austin greens scales, <laughs> <laughs> but he was fueled by it in, in utero. So that's good. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So tell me about Joel. What happened with Joel and the stand-up paddler? <laughs> so this is, this is going to be my kook of the day of the week. This happened at Cardiff. I'm surprised you weren't <laughs> in the water. Um, Joel posted the video yesterday morning, so it probably happened the day before. It's just a surfline footage, um, like that stagnant yeah. way back cam that is grainy. And I think he just said, summertime at Cardiff is fun. Uh -huh. <laughs> His caption said, summertime at Cardiff is fun. But it's Joel with pole position, prior no pun, uh, priority position, and a stand-up paddler stroking in from the shoulder. And so the stand-up paddler thinks like, hey, I've been stroking into this thing, but he's way off on the shoulder. Uh, but Joel takes off with the priority, makes his way on the left and runs over the track of the stand-up paddler. Like it's a little bit close, but he's right over kind of the tail of the stand-up paddler's board. And the stand-up paddler kind of gets shaken off balance because he's looking at Joel and wondering what's happening. So he falls. Joel finishes the ride, kicks out, starts paddling out. And the stand-up paddler gets on his knees and knee paddles towards Joel and uses, extends the paddle to its full extension and pats Joel on the butt with the paddle. I just saw that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh like he's not attacking him, you know, he's not trying to hit him in the face or anything like that. 
And so I have no idea what the words exchanged were or anything like that, but he is spanking (laughs) Joel with the paddle and Joel just kind of looks at him. It looks like he does say something and then he continues paddling away. Um, So what's crazy about this is Joel's a Brazilian black. He's a black belt in Brazilian jujitsu. He is a world champ, not just surfer, uh, jujitsu special practitioner I don't know who that stand-up paddler is. I have a feeling Joel would kick the crap out of that dude. <laughs> wow, that's that's interesting. Well, you know, there's, uh, you know, what can you say? There's a lot of people in the water, a lot of people trying to have a good time. Yeah. A lot of insanity in the water. Um, yeah, there the, is a lot of insanity. The funniest comment that I saw on that story on Beach Grit, um, somebody said, Choosing between a sweeper or tutor is almost as hard as choosing between Maroon 5 or Coldplay. It's a lose-lose proposition. <laughs> Which I think but is Joel, pretty funny. Joel introduced me to the lead singer of Coldplay one time. No way. What's that story? Yeah, It was just random. I was coming out of the water at 15th Street. This was a long time ago, maybe 15 years ago or something. And... Um, and Joel just happened to be there. And he's with this dude. I didn't even know who the guy was. He's like, hey, this is my friend, Chris. And I'm like, hey. And then Joel and I had, you know, a couple, we talked for like 30 seconds or a minute. And this guy, Chris, just stood there. And then um, that was it. And then I realized later on, I'm like, oh, that was the fucking guy from Goldplay. <laughs> I had no idea at the time. That's hilarious. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's the guy from Coldplay. I'd be like, that's Gwyneth Paltrow's husband. <laughs> that's how i know them. those two no no but 15 years ago they would have been yeah they were. Um, i think they were so you mentioned last week to me episode one of how surfers get paid on stab magazine yeah super fun um yeah i watched it later that day after we spoke and i think that the series is fantastic I did um, too. there's now there's right. now two episodes available you mentioned in your teaser of it that uh the story of jordy smith going toe-to-toe with paul nade um jordy was sponsored by yeah paul nod nod yeah paul nod so paul paul was running billabong international at the time and um jordy was on the billabong team but his contract was up he was 18 years old and so he was looking to uh, renegotiate and he had all the potential in the world and Paul offered him a $250,000 contract. Jordy was making 30,000 at the time. So this was almost, you know, this is a ninefold increase, maybe eightfold. And, um, Jordy shook his hand and was like, this is an incredible deal. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's put it together. It's a handshake, nothing signed. And Quicksilver finds out about this, um, or about Jordy becoming available. All the other brands find out about this. So they all start offering money. So they're like, Jordy, dude, we'll give you 600. We'll give you 800. We'll give you a million, you know? And so Jordy uh, reneges on the handshake. Nothing was signed. And that ends up becoming a um, point of contention for Paul Nod. And Paul Nod actually sues Jordy for breach of that handshake and sues him for half a million bucks. And Jordy ends up taking a million dollar contract with somebody else and just pays the 
fee, the suit he pays Paul basically pays Billabong um, to get out of the lawsuit. But that's just the opening story of this episode. Then they go to credits or opening credits, you know, and they tell all sorts of other stories about how surfers get paid and um, other contract disputes and all this sort of stuff. Strider tells a story about getting a little bit of money from Quicksilver to go to Hawaii to try to like have his big break, but it's not enough money. So instead he straps a bag of weed to his leg, flies on a commercial flight over to Hawaii to sell the weed in order to stay for the entire winter in Hawaii, ends up getting a cover shot. And so there's all sorts of these really um, lore, this surf lore that's not only uncovered and told publicly for the first time by Stab, but it's straight from the horse's mouth. They're actually getting the actual people who are signing these big contracts or putting together the big contracts or doing the drug deals to confess to these things on camera. So I think it's really compelling. Yeah, it's super fun. It's it's kind of a history lesson more than anything is what I've noticed. It's like we're basically kind of being told how it, how it started and where it went and where, you know, so maybe in the future episodes, I watched number two already and Maybe in number three or four, I don't know how many they're going to do here. We'll find out kind of what's happening right now. Although they did touch on that a little bit in episode one. Yeah, they um, do. I mean, they cover YouTube and vloggers and all that stuff. Yeah. They interview they interview some of them. Um, so uh, I think you're right, though. The history, even more, the stories I just told were salacious. But the retelling of the rise and fall of print media and of many of the brands was equally as interesting to me and i knew it yeah. you know we know yeah, these stories and exactly. you and i refer you and i refer to these stories all the time but to kind yeah. of see it with the benefit of hindsight and the role that it played um and how it's influenced a lot of the way that we do business now and the surfers that we love and all that sort of stuff i think it was just really really a great history lesson yeah and and i think you nailed it the cool thing about it was it was sort of like rumor and innuendo that everyone knew, but now it's been completely validated by the people that were actually involved in it. Yeah, totally. Um, well, episode two, everything we discussed was in episode one. Episode two just came out this last week. One of the interesting stories um, was Billabong suing Andy Irons. And yeah. Ina Karras is being interviewed in this because he was putting together those contracts with Andy. and. Um, he was saying, look, Andy wouldn't listen. Andy was, we knew Andy was rogue and uh, that's what we loved about him. And Andy, even Paul again, chimes in and says, Andy even knew that he was difficult to work with. He would say, I'm difficult to work with, but we wanted to work with him. So Enoch says um, that one of the quickest ways to get Andy to actually respond and fall in line was to sue him, was money mattered to him. And so, you know, if he was not uh, honoring the obligations of his contract, which would be stuff like uh, wearing the clothing or and going on photo shoots, you know, yeah, the waves are pumping at home right now, but we need you to go do this photo shoot somewhere else. And he'd be like, screw it. The waves are pumping at home. So they would have to sue him in order to get him to do it. And they're interviewing Bobby's Bobby Martinez and trying to get his opinion on this whole thing. And Bobby is just livid. He he was good friends with Andy at the time. And he was talking about Andy telling him that he got sued by his own sponsor. And Bobby's like, what? 
Like, how dare they? What? Why would you ever partner with somebody who's suing you? And Andy's like, well, because but, I, mean, I believe at the, at the time, Bobby was writing for Bill Barn, I think. Is that right? I don't remember that. No. Okay. Maybe not. Well, um, Bobby's like, and Andy goes, well, because I'm making millions of dollars essentially. And yeah, they sue me for 30,000 bucks, but at the end I'm still netting, you know, millions of dollars. And Bobby is like, F that. So they tell Bobby's story and Bobby's was offered $1.2 million and he turned it down, turned it down. Just like, Nope, not interested. Don't want to do what you want me to do. And that's a compelling storyline too. I mean, I think it's pretty foolish, <laughs> but but, but it's think? it's really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, everybody, Andy did things. Andy has his own threshold for pain. Andy knows okay. what that. And so Andy did things the way that he did him. Bobby probably doesn't think that he's foolish still and did things the way that he did them. And so my way is different. So we all are entitled to our opinions, but compelling, compelling storytelling. Yeah, yeah it's very good. It's, it's super fun. Um, and, and Jamie, I think Jamie, didn't you say Jamie's involved in this? Jamie Tierney? Yeah. 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 He, he does a great, he does a great, he does a great job. They do a great job. They do seen more of it. And I've, I've actually, this is one of the, you know, this is something that I've been telling people about, like, Hey man, you got to watch this. You know, it's really pretty fascinating. Well, here's a couple of, uh, things that they revealed and I will just share these little details there are only 12 surfers in the history of professional surfing who have been earned million dollar contracts. Can you name who those 12 surfers are? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, off the top of my head, it, it's, um, you know, Kelly, Tom Carroll, Bobby, no, not Bobby. Uh, Steph, Steph yep. Gilmore. Yep. Um, Joel. Yep. Mick. Yep. Kolohe. Yep. Uh, Gabe. Yep. Um, John John. Oh, yeah. John, John, Julian, Jordy, Dane, and Taj would be the one that you wouldn't think of. Surprised Camille uh, is not on there. Yeah. Interesting, right? Uh, I mean, he's making over a million bucks in total, oh, but sure. not, not from one individual sponsor in one individual year. Um, but the fun fact is that there's only one million dollar plus deal that stands in 2022. So who do you think that is? Oh, that's got to be Gabe Medina. Yeah. Gabe Medina. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. It's a great, everyone should go check this, this, these videos out. They're really, they're really interesting. I I guess you and I are into it because there's so much business and money involved. And it's just fascinating the way it all works. Like, like the, the, the way that the brands were just super competitive, you know? Yeah. and the, the sort of, you know, one upping each other and just, and, and, and of course, at the time, there was just so much money in the surf industry. It was ridiculous. It was, it was, um, it was just like, I mean, I remember the surfer pole awards were just like next level. Like everybody was rolling up in, in limousines and, or huge raging party buses. And I mean, 
there was a lot of excess that was going on in 2003. You know, let's just say that. Well, you you said the way that it all works, and it could be argued with hindsight that it in fact did not work. And this was about an eight-year experiment. You know, it was 2000 to 2008. And those two companies that were going toe-to-toe, they tell great stories about the pettiness of going back and forth between Quicksilver and Billabong. Those two companies current both filed bankruptcy and are currently run by one private equity group, you know, and yeah, by the way, trying to be trying to be sold by that private equity group currently. And so yeah. it, it did not work. It was a failed experiment that had a very limited run, uh, eight years yeah. specifically. So it's a blip in pro surf's kind of radar, but it did create a lot of interest or a lot of influence and um, a lot of what we do today is a result of that. And certainly the You're surfers right. that we know. It's and a great way to look at it. Yeah, it's a super good way to look at it, right? The excess of the marketing budgets and and how the whole thing just ate crap, you know? Yeah. They all just started buying other brands. And I mean, Quicksilver was buying golf clubs and ski companies and Bill Mong was buying everything. Nick's, you know, they were buying, I think they bought Nixon and bought Zipper and like, I mean, at least, at least Billabong bought stuff that was kind of like, on brand, so to speak, like Quicksilver was buying golf club companies. Yeah. I yeah. think they bought Cleveland. That's who they bought. They bought Cleveland Golf, Rossignol. Rossignol. Yeah. You know, well, um, I mean, it was smart. I mean, in a sense, I understood the strategy, which was there's all these other companies, sporting companies that are way bigger than surfing. And so we're limiting by just staying in surfing. And Billabong's strategy was let's own every category in surfing. So Billabong makes clothing and well, suits, but we want a sunglass company. We want a watch company. So I'm not an expert, but I've always thought that it was like uh, they went public, specifically Quicksilver, especially they went public and it was, and you have to appease your board of directors and their your stock, the stockholders are looking for value with their purchase, with their stock purchase. And so their strategy was like, well, let's just buy up some like lower level brands and it'll make us look bigger. Our market cap will be bigger. And I don't know. They, well, they I think they bought the acquisitions were horrific. That's entirely true. And their strategy or the shareholders want growth. And so Billabong living in the surf space can only grow incrementally because the space is only so large but one way to grow quickly is to acquire. And so the shareholders just see growth and that's good for the, you know, for the short term. What was interesting is, I mean, if we rewinded our podcast, I feel like eight years ago, we had a conversation on air about whether or not to buy Billabong stock because it was like down to a dollar, you know, a share or something. And I think, I think the conversation was like, yeah, sure. I mean, let's put 500, I'll put 500 bucks on it, you know, or whatever. Um, I think I, I did. I think it was quick. It was Quicksilver, though. I thought. I thought. Okay. I thought maybe I bought some Quicksilver when it was at like ten cents. Like it was about to just implode. Like it was at the bottom. And I'm like, there's no way it's got to come back. And, <laughs> right. And the whole thing. The whole thing. They did. They got delisted. You know. <laughs> right. Um, well, it's interesting when we look at this storyline. I was thinking like the flash point 
of where did everything turn? You know, growth, growth, growth. Everybody loves it. Everybody's making money, uh, having a great lifestyle. Where does it decline? And I really feel like the nexus was Billabong suing Andy Irons. Like Andy Irons is who we all, I mean, it's who everybody working in within that brand venerated. It's who we all want to be to a certain degree. Um, if we could do without the demons that came with it, but if we could surf like him, if we could live brash and unapologetic like him, he was the paragon for so many people who love surfing. And so I, I think like you want kids to believe the marketing, the entire reason why they're creating their marketing campaign is to get kids to believe in this image. But if the relationship at the very top, Billabong and Andy, is fighting and lawsuits, then all of the marketing is actually fake. It's us loving this guy, but you know what we're actually doing to him? We're forcing him. Yeah, but we we're putting handcuffs we on that. him. For as as no. end user consumers, we didn't, we, we didn't know that. Correct. But it's the beginning of the end. With the actual, if it's all a ruse, if all the marketing is just pay for play and the, the company no longer values the icon, the king, you know, for what he is. They're saying that they do. And I think the individuals within the company do, but the company itself is now better off by suing the guy who is the king, because this is what's right for the board, for maybe, yeah, the board members or the shareholders or whatever it is. This is the right decision for the business is to go against all of our heart and all of what we know. That's kind of the turning point of the whole thing. I don't know. If, I, I think that's a stretch as a hypothesis or as a thesis for a paper. I would suggest to you that the turning point, where did it all go wrong was when these companies went public, as I mentioned. And, and not only that, but the timing of it, right? Which is everything is, in my mind, where the thing started to go weird was when everybody got ba high bandwidth internet, right? And so that was the beginning of, all of us being content, all of us being able to have voices and um, for the prism through which we squeeze surf culture being the print media was now shattered and it slowly just moved away and print dollars started to go other places and marketing and everyone was kind of, it was just so disruptive that, and then of course, 2008 happened, the recession of 2008, all of that sort of, there was like a perfect storm you know, and these companies um, went bankrupt. Yeah, well, they could have pivoted. They could have adjusted. I look at Nat Geo They're as too a big, huge... too big to pivot. Too big. No, to pivot not not true at all. I think so. Look at Nat Geo. Think... Look at Nat Geo and all Nat Geo. Like Nat Geo used to be, it was a bigger print publication than the ones that you're talking about, and they've pivoted yeah. beautifully into the digital space. They have channels on TV. Their social media is when sharks so, attack. When they, sharks attack, <laughs> that's that's discovery. That's hardly the academic. Oh, but it's isn't it Nat Geo that does? No, their social media is super robust. Like they've done a phenomenal job. So there's examples of right. big, big and pivoting. Um, well, we're running out of time yeah, here. I gotta go. uh, Dane Reynolds has a new flick out. It's called Glad You Scored. It's 45 minutes. Um, it's featuring, I hate to say it's a Dane Reynolds film because 
he's actually highlighting all of his friends from his local, uh, from Ventura, basically. So that's the reason that you should watch it. Dane's still surfing incredibly. It's not up to snuff with his, you know, Dane of yore, but um, it's certainly worth watching. And the guys that he's highlighting are all ripping. My favorite moment of him in the uh, How Do Surfers Get Paid is when he's trying to explain some nuance of something and he's kind of getting lost in his thought. And he's like, I just wonder... And he gets lost in his thought. And then he comes back and he goes, where all my money went. <laughs> I know that was pretty funny. Even Jamie, who was filming, you could hear him laughing. <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, the guy was making $4 million a year. And now he's like, I'm wondering where all the Remember, money went, which we can all relate to. That... We've all had little influxes of cash. And then you're like, where did that go? But 4 million bucks, you're like, Jesus Christ. He was making 300 grand a, a month. A month. Imagine. <laughs> Holy for shit. four years. I, killing it. I hope I think he did okay. Well, let me uh, quickly before we leave tell you that I'm supposed to be uh, doing a podcast interview with Eric Logan, the CEO of the WSL Monday morning. Um, as we build into the finals week here, which begins September 8th at Lowers. So hopefully you and I can get that produced and up by Tuesday. And um, so shoot me some questions if you got some questions. Um, Hold them accountable. Basically do a, do a year in review. You know, I want to I want to know how he thought the year went. I want to go event by event. Well, I wanna, okay. I'm very interested in what happened with Vans. Um, Perfect. And I also yeah. I also want to know about the shuttering of WSL Studios. Um, Eric, when you hear him interviewed. I feel like it's a lot of, it is soft. And he talks about, we're seeing growth in this phase and this phase. And there are all these statistics that, you know, viewership on this one platform is up or ad revenue over here is up. And so it all sounds good. But when I look at things that we talked about on this podcast over time, it's a lot of shuddering. It's a lot of failures. It's them setting out. I mean, he came into uh, the WSL with the TV background, obviously. And so he was hired to run the studios or the VP of, you know, content essentially creation for the WSL. Then he created WSL studios once he became the CEO and he had all of these projections and hopes, the ultimate surfer, all this stuff. And then within a year shuttered all of it because those things didn't pan out. So I would like to hear what his thoughts are on some of those things as well. Okay. Um, and if did you, you if hopefully you'll send me an email with some of those okay. thoughts, although I did jot them down just now, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, by the way, California Gold Surf Auction is coming up. And did you know, I don't know if I told you this, but we have a surfboard that comes to us from Steve McQueen, the Steve McQueen estate. We have Steve McQueen's surfboard, probably the coolest guy to ever be a Hollywood actor, right? Steve McQueen, yeah. wouldn't you say? Yeah. Don't you think that one movie, um, what was that movie about Hollywood that was recently done by um, by our buddy that did... Um, uh, Once, a, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Thank you, Tarantino. I was trying to think of that movie he did, Road, uh, Road Dogs, Dog, what was that movie? Dog, Road Warrior? No, no, you know. What was Death Proof? first? No, his first really big movie. Reservoir Dogs. Something Dogs. Yeah, Reservoir Dogs. 
Anyway, Steve McQueen, right? Don't you think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is sort of like based a little bit on the Steve McQueen character? Or oh, Steve are you talking about Brad Pitt's character? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Steve McQueen, we have uh, his personal Pat Curran surfboard aboard that Pat Curran custom built for Steve McQueen. And that's, uh, I'm very excited about that. We got a bunch of other cool stuff. So the California Gold Surf Auction, uh, the lot, the uh, preview for the catalog will be available in a couple of weeks. And I'll be, I'll be hyping it up here on our podcast and elsewhere. Uh, anyway, pretty excited about it. Awesome. Congrats on that. That's a huge get. Hey, thank you. Thank you. You said that with sincerity. I appreciate it. I mean, it is. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Stephen Clean, coolest guy ever. Yeah. All right. Well, look, David, until next time, adios and aloha.
that ain't working. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Money for nothing and your chicks. Free. 